We're starting a brand new series this week titled Blessed on the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. What's a beatitude? Well, a beatitude is an attitude or an action that God blesses. The beatitudes, and there are eight of them, the beatitudes are kind of the core values of Christ's kingdom. Jesus, the Messiah, uh, tells his disciples, if you want to be blessed in my kingdom, then cultivate these attitudes and actions, and they will bring about God's favor and blessing on your life. Let me, let me illustrate core values. Chick-fil-A, and everybody's saying, it's my pleasure to serve you. I love that. Kathy Truitt established what he calls the core four, the core four values uh, that drive Chick-fil-A's culture. Smile. Eye contact. Stay engaged and with the customer and enthusiasm. And they do a great job instilling the core four into their employees, right? Every time I go to Chick-fil-A, I walk away saying, I just had a wonderful human interaction. Where do they find these people who are so enthusiastic to see me? And it, it's just a, uh, it's a marked culture, no matter where you go on Chick-fil-A's planet Earth. Uh, and so Kathy Truitt came up with the core four because he said, this, this is, if we practice these attitudes and behaviors, these are the things that are going to uh, get, we're going to get the most bang for the buck. This is going to uh, result in greater, greatest profitability ultimately for them. Well, that's what the Beatitudes are. This is Jesus saying these eight attitudes and actions, if you'll cultivate them in your lives, it's going to produce unbelievable spiritual fruit and, and the blessing of God, and you will be able to, to fully participate and benefit from my kingdom. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read chap, uh, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, the Beatitudes are the introduction to a larger sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible doesn't call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that We got that name sometime in the late 1700s because Jesus went up onto a mountain and, and taught. Sermon on the Mount. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, many have uh, noted the similarity here with Moses giving the law. And here's Jesus, the king, the Messiah, saying, here are the, the rules of my kingdom. Here's the lifestyle I expect from the new covenant community. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The values of Christ's kingdom are not the values of our world. I don't know where, other than scripture and in church, you're going to be encouraged to cultivate a poor in spirit attitude, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, and to endure persecution, right? Uh, This is often directly at odds with the values of our world and what we're taught through everything we read and watch on TV and and what we hear in school. And so it's a very important uh, corrector for us. What does it mean to be blessed? Some translations have happy. Happy are the the poor in spirit. And, And happy gets toward what it means to be blessed, but there's really no great English word to translate the Greek, which is makarios, blessed. Because, uh, and the deficiency of happiness is happiness is a, um, a perception. And sometimes our perceptions are inaccurate. But what Jesus is saying here is not, nece- not necessarily that you're going to feel blessed, you are just objectively blessed. He's making a a, a pronouncement about the real state of your life because of God's favor upon you. Those who uh, exemplify these attitudes and actions are blessed by God, period. You are are, uh, enjoying the kingdom of God. You're, You're in it. You're walking all around in it, and you're being blessed as a result. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, this is true of you. Blessed are. And so we're going to spend eight weeks in these 12 verses. So what are we going to benefit? Since these are the the, the kind of core values of Christ's kingdom, and you get the most bang for your buck by uh, cultivating these attitudes and actions, it's worth taking a week and, and, and really thinking about what would this look like in my life. So we open with poor in spirit. Verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it doesn't mean to be poor financially. It specifies poor in spirit. It's a spiritual poverty, not uh, necessarily a financial poverty. Although in the Old Testament, the poor were often referred to as kind of shorthand for those who are poor in spirit. Why? Well, because 
number one aspect of uh, poor in spirit is aware of your neediness. And so the poor are often aware of their neediness. I'm poor and I need help. And they often have no one to turn to other than God. And so the poor of Israel in particular were aware of their need and would, would turn to the Lord, oftentimes turn to the Lord for help. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit, to recognize I am a person in need and God is my helper. I take my need to God. So to be poor in spirit is, is to say, I am needy. I cannot help myself. God's got to help me. God, please, I cast myself upon your mercy. Here's the way John Calvin defines poor in spirit. He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. Let me give three biblical examples of people who were poor in spirit. The first one comes from Luke chapter 18. And Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Notice that he told the parable to people who trusted in themselves and thought they were righteous. So he's using the parable to open their eyes. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors uh, were despised by the Jews because they were collaborators with the Romans, right? They were definitely viewed as sinners. Pharisees are uh, lay people who were very into um, being religious. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the tax collector had a poor, was poor in spirit. Then in Luke chapter 23, thief on the cross. Luke chapter 23, starting verse 20, uh, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Third example of poor in spirit is the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, 
There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And we know the rest of the story. The father didn't treat him like a hired servant, but welcomed him back as a long-lost son. And that, of course, and that uh, irritated the older brother who had remained faithful. And the older brother was angry, verse 28, and refused to go in. And he said, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. So what, do, what, do the, uh, what does the tax collector, what do the tax collector, the thief on the cross, and the prodigal son have in common? All of them recognize that they have no claim on the father. I don't offer anything, and so I cast myself completely upon your mercy, God. I am in need. I cannot save myself. I have, I can't, I'm not, you're not obligated to me, but I come to you and ask for your mercy. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. One thing that the, that a poor in spirit person never say, says is, I deserve. God, I deserve. But notice the others. So the Pharisee, God, I am so thankful I'm not like other people. I don't do these bad things. In fact, I do a lot of good things. I give, I fast. I deserve, right? God, I deserve to be... He doesn't quite say it, but he's saying it. God, I deserve to be listened to. God, I deserve to be blessed because of what I do for you and what I don't do that I wish I could do. The, the other thief on the cross, I find his, him interesting. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's saying, I'm a Jew, and if you're the Messiah, you owe it to me to save me. There was a German, Heinrich Heime, he was a, a German poet in the 1800s. And a priest on his deathbed asked him, do you believe God will forgive you your sins? He said, of course, that's his job. Now, maybe he was, maybe that was... Uh, a statement of faith in the, God's promises. But there, I think there are a lot of people in our world who presume upon uh, God's mercy. Of course God's going to let me into heaven. Of course he's going to forgive me. That's what God does. He's a loving God. And then you've got the older brother. 
I deserve. I have been faithful the whole time. I've been working hard for you the whole time. I deserve gets in the way of God's blessing in our lives. Whenever we take a posture of God, I deserve to be healed. I deserve for my kids to turn out well. I deserve to be uh, financially well off. I deserve for my marriage to succeed. It interrupts. That's not the posture that brings about the blessing of God in our life. It interrupts the blessing of God in our life. Let me speak a moment to uh, the Christian. We cannot enter the kingdom of God apart from poverty of spirit. Unless you, so if you're a Christian, that means that there was a time in your life, there had to be a time in your life where you said, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. And so I cast myself upon the mercy, your mercy, O God, manifest in the death of your son, Jesus, upon the cross. If you have never been there, you have not entered the kingdom. You might have grown up in the church. You might have even been elected into some church office. You might serve in the church, but you are not a part of Christ's kingdom. If, if, there was, if there's never been time in your life where you have been poor of spirit, period. That's how you enter the kingdom. And so if you're a Christian, that means there was a time in your life when you cast yourself completely upon the mercy of God. But the mistake that Christians often make is we, sometimes we, we'll begin our relationship with a, I bring you nothing, I am dependent completely upon your mercy, but then we, we live out the Christian life performance-based. Okay, but now look at what I'm doing. I've gotten my life all straightened out, and now God I deserve. And we begin to relate to him from a posture of performance, and I deserve. And Jesus is saying, core value, not once, but your entire life. You want the blessing of God in your life? It starts with a, a poverty of spirit. It means that you always approach God with, I don't bring anything uh, of my own. Everything that I have is, is a, that is good is a result of your mercy in my life, and I cast myself completely upon your mercy. And praise God, he's merciful. He's good. We cannot obligate God, period. And I know that offends the, the pride of the human heart. We want to obligate God. He seems more manageable that way we get a little bit, we feel a little bit in control, but we're not. Now let's look just briefly at the, the payoff, because every beatitude has a payoff, a promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Everything that God owns. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ. That is mind-boggling. The kingdom of heaven is the one kingdom that never ends. It is the kingdom that is growing, 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 and when Christ returns, it will have taken over every nook and cranny of the universe, and we possess it. This is the great paradox. I love this. Poor in spirit, you possess the kingdom of heaven. There's no greater paradox. Are you really poor? If you possess the kingdom of heaven, of course not. So the path to 
unbelievable wealth is casting yourself upon the mercy of God. And this is what the world doesn't get. This is not what we're taught, right? The world is not teaching us. You want to succeed in life? You want to you want to become richest possible in all ways? Humble yourself. No, that's not what we're taught. And yet that's what Jesus says. The very first beatitude, the first value of his kingdom, a poverty of spirit. So non-Christian. I already said this, but let me just be very, very clear. You cannot have God in your life trying to obligate him. You can't be good enough for God to say, okay, okay, now, now we're cool. You cannot be good enough. You must get to the point where you say, I am in utter need. I can do nothing to save myself. And so I cast myself 100% upon your mercy. And thank God that his, he has given us promises and assurances to encourage us to come to him with our need. And the promise is, you believe in my son, Jesus Christ, I give you the right to become my child. Open the door. I'm knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock anyone open the door. I'll come in and sup with you. So God has said, you bring me your need. You cast yourself upon me. I'll meet that need. My son has died upon the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Your sins can be taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more. I will put my spirit within you, empower you to live a life of relationship with me. And ultimately, when you die, I will bring you back to life to spend eternity with me. You will inherit the kingdom. But it begins with a poverty of spirit. And so if you're not a Christian, will you humble yourself before the Lord, depend upon his mercy in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the challenge for you today. And for the Christian, if the Spirit is, uh, has revealed to you that you have begun to try to obligate God and you've begun to relate to him out of performance and an, and an I deserve, it's obstructing you enjoying the kingdom and benefiting uh, from God's blessing fully.